Good morning. Do you want to be blessed? I think all of us are familiar with that expression, that God blessed us. In fact, we may even say about something good that happens in our lives, I had God's blessing in my life, or God blessed me with this. Well, what is it that we're really talking about when we talk about blessing? Because it's really important that we drill down and get this. Our series is called Bless You, and it's all about, well, today's talk, if I was going to give it a title, it would be The Ground Rules of Blessing. First of all, then what is blessing? The way I, when I read the Bible, what I discover about blessing, it's, it's enhancement or good things beyond the norm. As we saw last week, even the norm itself is God's blessings. All human beings, we saw God even blessed the birds and the fish. All human beings are blessed. The oxygen you have coursing through your body right now that keeps you alive, that's a blessing of God. The fact that you are marvelously and wonderfully made, as David said, so that your body systems all work together in harmony fairly well, that's a blessing. So all human beings are blessed. But when I look at the Bible and I read the stories of the men and women who lived, clearly there were some people who enjoyed good things and enhancement beyond the norm. For example, take Joseph, hated by his brothers, sold as a slave into a land where he didn't know the language, didn't know the customs. How's that? For starting off at the bottom when you're 17 years old. At the age of 29, he was prime minister of Egypt and basically ran the world. How did that happen? What about Esther? What was it about her not even being Jewish in the Persian court of the most powerful man in the world, King Ahasuerus? What was it that caused Esther to be chosen queen? Or what about Daniel, another young person like the first two that was taken captive when he was a young man, taken into Babylon? who went from a slave to basically being the most important person in the Babylonian kingdom, served four different administrations. How did that happen? What was it about Ruth? I mean, after all, she, she didn't grow up in Israel. She grew up in a pagan culture where people sacrificed their babies, burned them in altars. How, what, what was it that caused Ruth to become highly blessed of God, marrying a wonderful man, having a great life, and becoming the great-grandmother of King David. And if you run the generations forward, the great-great-great-great-grandmother of another baby, we call Jesus. What was it about Joseph and Esther and Daniel and Ruth and hundreds and thousands, millions of other people perhaps, who got to enjoy good things and life enhancement beyond the norm. I want to know. I was desperate to know. That's what this series is about. I, I try to be very careful every time I do a series. And you guys are always so kind to me. And you know what I'm like? I'm this, whatever the next series is, it's always the greatest series I've ever done in my life. And I really mean that. And, and you guys are always you know, saying kind things to me about that. And people ask me, how do you come up with all these series? Well, really, it's like God just sort of inspires me to think about something. And then I go to the Bible and I begin to study. Because, guys, I'm well cognizant of one thing. I know that the thousands of you who come to New Spring, I know that you don't drive halfway across the state like a lot of you do to be here. You don't come to hear Mark. You don't come to hear my opinion. You want to hear God's word. So I realize very clearly my job is not to, to build a message. My job is to communicate a message that God has already built. 
So whenever I'm inspired by God to go into a particular line of thought for a series, I instantly go to the Bible and I begin to study and get myself prepared to bring to you what God is giving me. But you know, just keeping it real here, it's inadvertent on my part, I'm sure, but I've been a pastor for 33 years. I've brought thousands of messages. I grew up in church. I've heard many preachers bring many messages. I sometimes wonder, is it possible that maybe some preconceived idea or some preconceived thought seeps into the groundwater of a series? And God forbid that that should happen. But in this series called Blessing, I, I know what the times are like. I understand what's going on in our world. And I know that some of you are just hanging on by your fingernails. And the idea of God coming along and enhancing your life and bringing to you what you need is so important. I wanted to make sure that, frankly, none of these talks had any of my spin on them. And so what I determined I would do is I got ready for the series. I'll tell you this last week. I decided that I would approach the Bible on the subject of blessing as though I knew absolutely nothing. I would shove everything off the table that I'd ever learned about blessing, and I would approach the Scriptures as though I had never seen them before. Because as, as you and I talked last week, I've heard a lot of people talk about blessing. I've heard the name it, claim it people, you know, the televangelists say that if you send them money, God will just rain money out of the sky. And I've heard Christian leaders say, you know, you're just lucky to get anything you get from God. And I thought, man, all that stuff is junk because I read the Bible and I see that there were men and women who were like living lives beyond the norm. And I wanted to know, how did it happen? I remember so clearly the first night I began to work on this series. It was back in the early spring. I'm sure your house is probably like my house. My house is really noisy because there's a whole lot of stuff going on. But I decided I would just wait till everybody kind of settled for the evening and go down to my basement and in the quietness of the late night and early morning, I would just open scripture and I would begin to read on blessing. I didn't expect to encounter anything. I was just going to try to lay some foundation for the series. House got quiet. Mary Alice went to bed. Stephen went to bed. I sat in the basement and began to open my Bible. And what I began to experience that night changed my life. Welcome to the sermon of the year. In the series of the year. I, you know, I'm always freaked out a little bit when people say God talks to them. Does that bother you? And I'll tell you what, if anybody ever says God told me to tell you this, I sprint away from that person. God wants to talk to me. He doesn't have to tell Susie to tell me. He can talk straight to me. So, so here's the deal. I, 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 don't, I know there have been times in my life when God has clearly impressed me, and, but this is just a strange thing that happened that night, and just, just telling you what, 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 what went down. I, I had this line in my head. I, I sat down to study, and all of a sudden, instantly, this line was in my head. It was just a snippet of a verse, and, and again, to be honest, I couldn't even remember where it was in the Bible. It was just on my mind, and I couldn't shake it. It was this line, God commanded a blessing. I thought, why am I thinking about that? And then it hit me. That's a little weird. God commanded a blessing? Usually when we think about a command, we think about commanding a person or maybe commanding an animal. But you don't command something that's inanimate. You don't command something that's that's existential. How could God command a blessing? That was the very first thought that I had as I sat there and began to work on that series. And I was thinking, hmm, where is that? Where in the Bible is that line where it says, God commanded a blessing? It took me to the book of Deuteronomy. I love the book of Deuteronomy. It is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Let me tell you why. 
There are five, the first five books of the Bible we call the Pentateuch. That's probably more than you want to know. It means, you ready for this? It means first five books. No, it, it means five books. They're, they're all written by Moses, and it starts with Genesis, which is the first. But the next four books of the Pentateuch is really God telling the story of how the people of Israel when they were slaves in Egypt, how they went from their status as slaves in Egypt to the very brink of the promised land. That's really what the next four books say. Now, I'm just keeping it real here, and you always want me to do that, I think. You know, I hope you know your pastor is not a saint other than the fact that God has made me his child. I don't have a halo around my head. I'm telling you that so that you will understand that when I'm reading through the Bible and I'm reading through Leviticus and Numbers, I honestly don't get up in the morning and say, oh, great, I get to read Leviticus today or Numbers. I read them, and I know that there's, there are good nuggets in there, but to me, Leviticus and Numbers are dark books. They're not books that cheer me up. They're not books that excite me. I mean, there's some lines in there that get me excited, but when I read Deuteronomy, I'm ready to charge hell with a squirt can. <laughs> it is a great book. Let me tell you why. I, I know that a lot of your leaders and coaches here at New Spring, let me ask you a question. Have you ever led or coached a group of winners? Maybe athletically, maybe where you work, maybe as a, you know, in, the, in the military. Have you ever coached a group of winners? They're not whiners. They're not perpetual victims. They just bring their passion in their lunchbox. They're just ready to go. And you know as a leader, all they need from you is for you just to give them the game plan, and they're going to take it out and make it happen. Have you ever coached a group like that? If you have, and I have, I know what that's like. I pastor a church like that. If you know what that's like, it's very exciting to lead that group, and it can energize you. Especially if you've led some groups that weren't winners, and all of a sudden you get a group that's a bunch of winners, all of a sudden you feel an energy that you haven't had in a long time. That is why Deuteronomy is such an exciting book. Well, you know, let me, let me point out how, how, why this is the case. In fact, all you have to do is look at the second verse of the book. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 2, look at this. It says, normally it takes only 11 days to travel from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea, but... 40 years after. Do you ever send somebody to do something that should take 15 minutes and an hour goes by and you haven't seen them? You say, Mark, welcome to my workplace. <laughs> or if you're a parent of a teenager who's just beginning to drive, you send them to Dylan's for milk, it should take 15 minutes, an hour later. Now, that happens to all of us. <laughs> but, but guys, when something should take 11 days and it takes 40 years, something is really wrong. You say, Mark, I know what happened. It's just like my husband. You know, when he's driving, he won't ask instructions. And maybe that's how, I don't know. Now, what happened was this. The Israelites were, as I said, enslaved in Egypt, and God wanted to take them to the promised land. And God said to them, you're going to conquer this land. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to help you. It should have taken them to 11 days to go from Mount Sinai, where God gave the commandments, to Kadesh Barnea, which was on basically, it was the border between the wilderness and the promised land. 11 days. That's all it should have taken. But the first time they got right to the edge of Kadesh Barnea, the people said, hey, wait a minute here. Moses, you say this is a land that's awesome, but we don't know that. We don't know for sure that God has talked to you. Let's send 12 representatives, 12 spies over into the land to see if the land is everything God said it was. And so Moses said, all right. And so at the edge of Kadesh Barnea, 
11 days out, they sent those spies over into the land that God had promised them, and they came back. Ten of the spies came back with this report. They said the land is everything God said it was. It is magnificent. It is beautiful. It's one problem. The people there are huge. They will kill us. They will kill our children. God says we can take this land, but trust us on this one. We saw it, and we can't do it. And everybody got freaked out, and here was the consensus of the whole two and a half million of them. It was, we're scared, God. No. Now, let me parse that for you. It's always okay to tell God you're scared. I've been leader of this church for 25 years. I've been scared every single day. And, and anything, trust me, all of you who are God followers, anything that God asks you to do, your destiny that God has for your life, it will always be bigger than you. It is designed to be bigger than you so that you and I will understand that without God's help, we cannot accomplish the things that God lays before us. It's designed that way. And it's perfectly okay to say, God, I'm scared. The people said, God, we're scared. No, see, it's okay to tell God you're scared. It's just not okay to tell him no. And, you know, these guys, it was the men, you know, what was this? They, they, said, they, they, they said, we're, we're not scared. We're scared for our children. And God said, all right, here's how it's going to go down. I'm going to let you wander around in the desert for 40 years until these kids grow up that you claim you can't go into the promised land for. And when this, when this group of kids grows up and they become a generation of people who will say yes when I tell them to do something, then we'll be ready to go. And that's why something that should have taken 11 days took 40 years. But now, 40 years have passed. And Moses is standing across as an elderly man getting ready to die himself. Moses is standing across from this generation of young people who are not afraid. Before him are men and women, young men, young women who are not frightened anymore. They have watched what happened with their parents. They've circled around in the wilderness as they waited for this older generation to die off. And now they are ready for instructions. And Moses is giving them these instructions. Now, I've said all that to give you this. This line about God commanding a blessing is toward the end of Moses' talk to this generation of winners. It's in chapter 28, which, by the way, is one of the most important chapters in your Bible. And it's verse 8. It says, the Lord shall command the blessing upon you in your storehouse and in all that you undertake. So there's your line right there. God will command a blessing upon you. Now, I want to read the seven verses that lead up to that. Okay, you ready? Let's go to verse 1. Because how do you get to the place where God commands a blessing to be in your life? Okay, the Bible says, if you will listen diligently to the voice of the Lord your God, being watchful to do all his, look at this word, commandments, which I, here's the word again, command you this day, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you heed or listen to the voice of the Lord your God. Now, the word overtake there is the coolest word to me in this whole thing. Because probably the only 2010 equivalent I can think of is something like this. If, God forbid, you should leave the campus of New Spring after the service, get on K96, 21st Street, one of these arteries around here, and without paying attention, your foot gets a little heavy, And then you look in the rearview mirror and you see lights. Now, 
not that I've ever experienced this before. <laughs> but you know what it's like, because if you see lights behind you, you think, well, he's not after me or she's not after me. And so you know what it's like, you pull over, I don't know how this feels, but some of you may know how this feels. <laughs> you pull over to the side so the patrolman can pass you and get to the person that he's trying to catch, only to look in the rearview mirror and he's pulling over with you. You have just been overtaken. That's what this verse means. But now imagine for a moment that you get overtaken. Here's a patrolman or, or, or somebody behind you, you know, and, and a little sheriff's deputy or, or it's a Wichita, one of Wichita's finest. And they pull you over and you're thinking, oh man, a ticket. What's it going to do to my insurance? And, and I have to explain this to my parents. And all of a sudden the patrolman comes up to you and says, hey, we've got this campaign going on here with the county and the city. And it's just like somebody's donated several thousand dollars. And I, 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 we're, we're able to just select random people to pull over. And I have a check here for a thousand dollars. Okay, wouldn't that be cool? You're looking at me like you don't think that's going to happen. (laughs) This is exactly what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying, look, while we're in the course of our life, if we will listen carefully to God and obey his commands, then God is saying that he is going to command his blessing to overtake us. I don't know about you. I could use that. And then you're going to see all these places where God says we'll be blessed. You've got to understand this is a very different culture. You know, it was more of an agrarian culture, and you can sort of compare their life to our life and, 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 make these, and make these connections. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body at your kids. Blessed the fruit of your ground, fruit of your beasts, the increase of your cattle. Blessed shall you be in your basket, your kneading trough. Blessed you'll be when you come in. Blessed you'll be when you go out. That's just kind of an old Hebrew expression that means the whole aspect of your life. For any of you who've ever had people come up against you, verse 7 is cool. It says, the Lord shall cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. In other words, they'll come out against you united. They'll leave and run away from you divided. Have you ever had a season in your life where like people just had it in for you? Isn't it funny how they can coalesce? People you didn't even know knew each other. You think, how did my ex know the people I work with? Or, 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 you know, how do the people I work with who don't like me, how do they know my next door neighbors? And this is what God is saying it from time to time. And by the way, don't you find it interesting that even blessed people still have problems? Even blessed people still have enemies. God says they'll come against you one way and they'll leave seven ways. Now, as I sat in my basement tonight, that night when I was working on this material, all of a sudden it started to come together for me. When I read in verse 8, there's a word that's in verse 8 that's also in verse 1, and that's when it hit me. It says in verse 8 that God shall command the blessing, and in verse 1, it says, if I obey his commandments and listen to his commands, that's when it hit me. Mark's problem is this. I want God's blessing in my life so I can pursue my agenda. Frankly, that's what I want. I'm embarrassed to admit that, but that's the case. I want God to give me his stuff, God to give me his mojo, God to give me his strength so I can basically do what I want to do. For the very first time, it hit me that it's all about authority. That God wants to command a blessing in my life, but only if 
I recognize his authority over other areas of my life. Now, instantly, that changed. I mean, that very night in my basement, it changed the way I looked at God's commands. Because really, I mean, commands, let's be honest, commands are rules. I can tend to be just a little bit iconoclastic or even rebellious by nature. And I grew up in church, as some of you did. And from the very earliest of ages, I was taught God's commands. And, you know, you're supposed to do this. You're not supposed to do this. You know, and, and a lot of those rules and things. And honestly, as a God follower, I looked as, as God, at God's commands and said, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm not supposed to do. What's my grade? Maybe it's a high C. Maybe it's a low C. Maybe, you know, on a good day, it's a high B minus. That's how I kind of looked at God's commands in my life. That night in the basement, all of a sudden, I realized I had it all wrong. Because if it works like this, if God says, if you will listen carefully to my commands and obey my commands and accept my authority in that area, God said he would turn around and use his authority to command blessings upon me. Instantly, I got it that there was a nexus between God's authority and God's commanding a blessing, which meant this. Every time I read a command in God's word, it instantly becomes an express way of blessing for me. Which means now when I look at God's commands, I'm not thinking, "Uh uh-oh, what is God telling me to do now? I'm thinking, okay, here's another opportunity to be blessed. (laughs) Right at that moment, my mind went to somebody else in the Bible. By the way, this line of God commanding a blessing occurs two times in the Bible, verbatim. It's in the book of Deuteronomy, and this guy I'm going to talk to you about, he wrote it down. He got it too. His name is David, and he wrote the Psalms. He's the David of David and Goliath fame. And, and I don't know how many of you have read the Psalms. It's the longest book in the Bible. It's, it's, it's really a book of songs in which David, mostly David, is pouring out his heart to God. And David says a lot of things in the Psalms that I resonate with. But just again, keeping it real, there's one line that David says a lot in the Psalms that I always struggle with when I would read the Psalms. He he says that he loves God's laws. That's like saying, I love your rules. Now, that always caused me to raise my eyebrow a little bit. Because I love God's mercy, him not giving me what I deserve. And I love his grace, him giving uh, giving me what I don't deserve. And I love his kindness, and I love his salvation, but, but can I honestly say, God, I love your rules? I mean, imagine, if you will, those of you who are parents, imagine, you're, you know, you're, imagine your five-year-old crawling up in your lap and saying, Daddy, I just love your rules. <laughs> imagine your teenager, you know, teenage daughter coming in saying, Mom, I just love your rules. You're going to say, what do you want, babe? <laughs> See, that's what I'm saying. That's not normal. And whenever I would read that, I think, boy, David sure had to be a lot higher, God, better God follower than I am, because I, I honestly don't know that I can say, God, I love your rules. But, but David says it all the time. Let me give you a few examples. Psalm 119, 97, oh, how I love your law. Psalm 119, 113, I love your law. Psalm 119, 163, I love your law. Psalm 119, 47, I delight in your commands because I love them. I lift up my hands to your commands, which I love. And then in Psalm 119, 127, Before I understood what I understood that first night I started this series, I used to look at this verse and think, really? He said, truly, I love your commands more than gold, even the finest gold. 
Now let's be practical about this. Let's say you go home from church today, and as soon as you get to your house, the publisher's clearing house sweepstakes people are there with their balloons, just like they are on their commercials, you know? And they're going to give you their big prize. Can you imagine rushing right past them saying, sorry, folks, I just got to get to my Bible because there's some great stuff in here that God is telling me to do. Do you see us doing that? And yet, this is what David is saying. David is saying, God, I love your commands more than money. And yet, what I read that night made it all fall into place for me, okay? Hang with me a second, because you're going to have to see how all these dots connect. In Psalm 133.3, David quotes the line directly from Deuteronomy. Listen to what he says. He's talking about when people get along. He says, it's like the dew on Mount Hermon flowing down the slopes of Zion. Yes, that's where God commands the blessing. Commanding the blessing. We saw it in Deuteronomy. Moses told it to the group of winners. And David, this guy who keeps saying to God, I love your rules, he's talking about God commanding a blessing. And what's really interesting is he says, God commands the blessing from Mount Hermon. And that freaked me out. And I thought, what does that mean? You know, I've never been to Mount Hermon. It's in Palestine. I've been to Pikes Peak, but I've never been to Mount Hermon. I don't think I've ever done this before. Would you allow me to read you a couple of paragraphs from an encyclopedia? Just so that you'll know what Mount Hermon is, and I'm guessing you'll figure it out while I'm reading this brief article. This is a guy named Henry Baker Tristam who led an expedition up Mount Hermon in 1867. Here's what he wrote. He wrote, the vapor coming in contact with the snowy sides of the mountain is rapidly, rapidly congealed and is precipitated in the evening in the form of a dew, the most copious we've ever experienced. It penetrated everywhere and saturated everything. The floor of our tent was soaked. Our bed was covered with it. Our guns were dripping and dewdrops hung about everywhere. No wonder that the foot of Hermon is clad with orchards and gardens of such marvelous fertility in this land of droughts. This is from McClintock and, McClintock and Strong. The snow on the summit of this mountain condenses the vapors that float during the summer in the higher regions of the atmosphere, causing light clouds to hover around it and abundant dew to descend on it, while the whole country elsewhere is parched and the whole heaven elsewhere cloudless. The moment I read that, it all fell into place. That's why David said, I love your law better than money. It's why he said, I know all about the secret of how you command blessings. It's like on Hermon. Because on Mount Hermon, there's lush vegetation on the slopes of Hermon. I mean, it's the highest peak, 9,200 feet above sea level. There's always snow on Mount Hermon, even though it's in the desert. That Although the desert surrounds it on the slopes of Mount Hermon, there's always lush vegetation. When there's no other cloud in the sky, there's a cloud on top of Mount Hermon. And David said, that's just what your blessing is like. That's why it's better than money. I know what things are like out there. I was listening to an economist this week, or reading an economist rather this week, and a well-respected economist. He said, everybody is wondering when we're going to have the recovery. He said, the recovery happened about 12 months ago. He said, this is the new norm. 
I read statements, local statements of our economy, how that Wichita is more like a Rust Belt city than even a Midwestern city. I'm well cognizant of the fact that some of you here, if you were to speak to me, you would say something like this about your job. Mark, I remember when the manufacturing sector here in Wichita was robust, but now my job has gone to Mexico or some other place. And you're frightened today because the career that you train for and a career that you have experience in, you're not really sure that it's going to be around. Some of you could say, well, Mark, my, I used to be married, and it wasn't perfect marriage, but at least my husband was in the house, and my kids were there, but now it's like our, our home has just exploded, and when this service is over, I'm going to go back to a dark apartment, and I'm going to put a microwave dinner in the microwave. Or it could be that you're here today, and you're saying, Mark, I'm 55 years old, and I always thought I'd have a job with this company, but now I've been laid off, and you have any idea what it's like to shove a resume under a manager's nose when you're 55? See, this goes to exactly why David said your blessings are part of the money. Because when you get money, you get what money can buy. When you get what God wants to give you, the circumstances don't have to be there. God can rise above the circumstances and give you whatever he wants to. Just like there's a cloud on Hermon when there's not a cloud anywhere else in the sky. Just like when there's vegetation on the slopes of Hermon when there's not vegetation anywhere else. God can take care of you if the circumstances are totally against you. If you're in a career field that's dried up and blown away, God can still take care of you. If you're in a situation where your family is not there anymore, God can still take care of you. If you're in a situation where you're 55 years old or 60 years old and you're wondering, is my life over? Is anybody going to pay attention to me? God can still take care of you. It's just this, if I'm willing to accept God's authority in my life and obey his commands, God says he will command a blessing upon me and he can make it happen when it's not happening anywhere else. This could be a deal breaker though because it is for most believers. Yesterday, when I was putting the final touches on this message, I, I, I kept becoming emotional. And I'm not an emotional person. I told Mary else, I'm amazed. And I said, first of all, I think I was emotional because I realized just how big this was. And I think, secondly, it was because I knew that it was at this point of the message that many of us would walk away and say, I guess it's not for me. You ready for this? God can command a blessing upon you so that he can bless you even if you're in a completely unprofitable situation. But blessing must be on his terms. Blessing must be on his definition. That's where I run into trouble. Because see, I want God to give me that car. I want God to give me that house. Some of you want God to give you this woman. Some of you want God to give you this man. Some of you want God to give you this job. Some of you want God to get you into this college. And that becomes the definition of blessing for you. So that when it doesn't materialize and God chooses a different route, we throw it all aside and say it doesn't work. God is not blessing me. Go back to Joseph, if you will, for a moment. 
Would you say that Joseph was blessed? Yeah, 29 years old, running the world, I'd say that's a lot of blessing. But look at what God chose. God chose to allow him to be sold as a slave by his brothers, to be lied on by a woman who claimed he tried to rape her when he really rebuffed her advances. God allowed him to go to prison. And then in prison, God allowed him to be forgotten by two people who could have helped him. I mean, would you have chosen that route? I mean, a lot of us could have been Joseph for all those years and said, God is not blessing me, and yet God used every one of those things to bring him right to want to be. I say that today because some of us ask God for something and God chose not to give it to us. But here's the thing. The beautiful thing is this. If you will surrender to God's authority in your life and say, God, I'm willing to obey your commands, then you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God will give his blessing to you. I close with this verse that really Moses closed his talk to the people in Deuteronomy with. It's in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Moses said, today I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. That means between a good future and a not good future. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. And this is God's will. Oh, that you would choose life. Or oh, that you would choose blessing. Verse 20. A lot of you got an email from me getting ready for the weekend. Because last weekend we talked about this kind of verse where God says you have a choice between blessing and curses. And so the question is, how do, you, how do you express your vote to God? How do you tell God that you want to choose blessing? You know, we've got a, a, an election this weekend, and I'm not concerned about that election so much. You know, I, I'm not concerned whether you vote Republican or Democrat. I've lived long enough to see the Republicans in control. I've lived long enough to see the Democrats in control, and then Republicans in control again, Democrats in control again. And uh, my hope is in the Lord, I got to tell you. I'm just saying for all of us, and, and we should be good citizens and we should vote for the best people available, but I hope you're not looking to either party to be the, I hope you're not looking to pol- political solutions to be your blessing. God says, you can make this choice by. Don't you like that? I mean, God is saying, okay, you can express your vote this way. How do you choose between blessing and curses? God says, you can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This, the Bible says, is the key to your life. I don't know that I'll ever bring a more important message to God followers. God is saying, choose blessing. If we will see every command of God as an express way to God's blessing, it will revolutionize the way we live. And God can command a blessing to overtake us. Just like on Mount Hermon, if it's not happening anywhere else, God can still take care of us. We won't be dependent on circumstances. We will be dependent completely upon the blessing of God in our lives. Thanks for listening this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've shown us. And starting with me, Lord, would you just turn your light on the dark recesses of our hearts. Find the areas, Lord, of incomplete obedience and, and reveal them lovingly and tenderly to us so that we can be obedient to you. Oh, God, help us to understand that your rules are not there to restrict us. Instead, your rules are there to give us opportunities to be blessed. Help us to get it, Lord.
like that generation in Deuteronomy. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you just pray with me for one more moment? I know I haven't talked a lot about this today, but, you know, the important thing is that God wants a relationship with you. You know, we always say around New Spring, we hate religion. We're not into religion. We're into a relationship with God. And the Bible tells us that relationship is personal. It's between you and him. You don't have to go through a church. You surely don't have to go through me. It is directly between you and God. God wants, you talk about wanting to bless you and give you a great future. God wants to adopt you into his family, forgive you of all your sins, to make you his child forever and give you a home in heaven. And and when I say give, the Bible is very clear on that. It is a gift. But you can't have this relationship by joining a church or even by being good. You get it by receiving the gift and inviting Jesus into your life. If you've never done that, I want to give you a chance right now to make that decision. Talk about a vote. Boy, here's a great vote. And you say, well, Mark, will God listen to me if I pray? Listen, he, he so desperately wants a relationship with you, he's just waiting for you to say yes. I'm going to pray a prayer that calls out for that relationship. These aren't magic words, but if you're willing to ask God, he, he, will, he will hear you. So I'll pray it slowly so you can think about each line and mean it from your heart. But if you're ready to have a relationship with Jesus, why don't you pray with me this morning? Here we go. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I agree that I can't get, them to get into heaven by myself. But I believe Jesus died for me. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. Right now, I accept Jesus as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for adopting me. In Jesus' name, amen.